Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. Ryan, let's start with the Board of Governors meeting in Seattle and some big news coming out of this meeting. Obviously, what's making headlines is the salary caps going up to 87.7 million. It represents a $4.2 million increase, the biggest increase we've seen since 2019-20. So, you know, after relative, you know, years of cap staying stagnant, flat, we're finally seeing some rise. Like, who, who's going to benefit from this? Well, the first name, pretty obvious, William, <laughs> Nylander. William Nylander. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about the, uh, the Leafs forward all season long. He's been playing amazing. He'll be the, the top UFA on the market, or at least one of them. And this obviously gives Toronto a little more wiggle room, uh, but it also gives Nylander a little more wiggle room. If he doesn't want to stay with the Leafs, there will be more suitors for him now. Overall, um, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at really contending teams, right? right? Uh, they'll benefit Toronto for sure, but the Vegas Golden Knights as well. Here's a team that has already got a lot of money committed to their players, and it's a very good team, so why not? But Jonathan Marcheseau, an original misfit, the Con Smythe winner when they won the Stanley Cup last year, he needs a new contract. They need you know a couple more guys, Chandler Stevenson or a Chandler Stevenson equivalent, if you will. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, you were mentioning before the show, Colorado's another team too. Yeah. You know what? Basically the, the entire NHL, um, benefits, maybe not Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're trying to get up to the, the floor of the cap, but yeah. it's funny you mentioned Toronto off the hop. And I think that's where everyone's mind goes is, you know, the Maple Leafs where they've got Matthews, uh, signed up for big money. Tavares signed up for big money. You're going to have to make a decision on Nylander as well as Mitch Marner a year mm -hmm. from now. You know, it's funny, like when they signed John Tavares and it was Kyle Dubas who gave out that contract, the idea was, and this is back in 2018, is that you know the cap was going to constantly go up by four to five million dollar increments year mm -hmm. after year so that you know you're giving a guy like Tavares 10 million dollars, but you know in a couple of years it doesn't feel like 10 million dollars. Yeah, inflation yeah, yeah. will be what it was. So yeah. the fact that the caps remained flat has really hurt the Leafs, has really hurt a team like the Edmonton Oilers. So you know, they're going to probably get out of sort of salary cap hell. Mm -hmm. But we were kind of joking. You know, you give $4 million to a GM, they're just going to sign some yes. bad contracts. Yeah, exactly. It's like when they talk about building more highways, you just get more traffic. Yeah. yeah. But back to Colorado. Uh, it's interesting. Gabe Landeskog obviously makes, uh, I think, $7 million around there. He's out this year, so you don't mm -hmm. feel that kind of crush. But a year from now, Miko Rantanen is going to get some big money. I wonder if he's going to be in that... William Nylander, David Pasternak kind of salary cap uh, model. Um, totally. That area. Yeah, and you know Very what? Very underrated player, but man, he, he's going to get some money, isn't he? Totally, and we actually, we have a Miko Rantanen feature in the latest edition of the Hockey News, the World Junior Preview. And you look at what he's been able to accomplish already as a goal scorer and, you know, a big-bodied player at that. 
He's got a Stanley Cup. Yep. He can score. You know, he can get you 40 goals. Definitely. Uh, he can do a lot out there. Is he Pasternak? He's pretty close. So, I mean, if, if I'm Miko Rantanen and his you know, representation, I'm saying it's like, it's got to be at least 11 at this point, right? Maybe even yeah. 12? He's making nine and a quarter right now. Here's a question. Is he the best Finnish player in the NHL right now? And we're talking about Finland. Mm. You, got, you got Sasha Barkov in Florida. You got yep. Sebastian Aho in Carolina. Mira Heskinen on defense. Yeah. Um, there's some good players. I thought we'd be having Patrick Laine in this conversation. He hasn't raised to that same echelon of yeah. player. But I would argue Ranton is probably the best Finn right now in the league. I, you know what? I think that's a pretty good argument to make. I think Barkov would be the other option because, you know, like he could win the Selkie this year, right? right? So it's like, do you value a trophy winner versus a guy that might not win an individual award, but is going to be, you know, one of the top scorers in the league and, you know, we know can help you in the playoffs, has that championship pedigree? It's a great debate. Talking about championship pedigrees and... The Hughes brothers don't have a championship, dot, 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 yet. Hmm. Um, one of them's going to win a Stanley Cup, I imagine. One of them's going to get some significant hardware at the end of the year, whether it's a Norris, whether it's a Hart Trophy, maybe even an Art Ross, yeah. maybe all of the above. Um, they play tonight. Uh, we're going to see the Devils against the Canucks. We got Luke and Jack Hughes on one side, Quinn Hughes on the other. I wouldn't want to be a parent here trying to decide <laughs> who I'm going to cheer for. But you rose, uh, raised a, an interesting question. Are the Hughes brothers the first family of hockey now? Um, obviously taking that maybe title away from the Sutters. Or does it belong to Matthew and Brady Kachuk, who you know, can make an easier claim there? Yeah, it, it's kind of a fun question. Uh, for me, I would say like in the regular season, I would certainly take the Hughes brothers. But in the playoffs, I might take the Kachucks. Oh, yeah. Right? Because you I look want to at go what, to war with the Kachucks. Yeah, you totally get I mean, they start the war, but they also <laughs> finish the war. You, know, you look at Matthew Kachuk before he broke his sternum in the final. Mm. I mean, for me, he was the Conn Smythe favorite. I know Sergei Bobrovsky did some great things in net. You know, particularly in the Toronto series, mm-hmm. but Matthew Kachuk was the, like the heartbeat of that team, and you know we saw what Florida was like essentially without him in the final because before he got hurt, he got booted from two straight games. Yeah, so you didn't get the full Kachuk experience, and then you look at Brady, the young captain in Ottawa, very much cut from the same cloth. Where you know he will battle for himself, for his teammates. You know he has talent. Having said that, I mean the Hughes brothers. Like you mentioned, they could win multiple trophies this year. And, I mean, Connor Bedard at this point is most likely going to win the Calder because he's running right. away with the scoring race. But Luke Hughes right now is tied for second in rookie scoring, and he's wow. doing so as a defenseman. So that's pretty impressive. It's one of those debates where it's like, I don't know if there's a right answer. I, I love all those players. It's just kind of a fun one. No, it's it's. I think as fans, we're lucky that we've got the Kachucks and we've got the Hughes where we can watch these guys. I think the worst thing is that we haven't seen Brady Kachuk in a playoff uh, game yet. Mm. Um, that, that's the really one thing we're missing because sure. like, I covered him at the World Juniors and he just took over that Team USA uh, mm. team. I remember he scored a shootout goal in an uh, outdoor game against Canada and it was like, if you want one guy to have the puck on a stick and you don't think Brady Kachuk has... You know, a shootout kind of extraordinaire. Right. But it was just kind of like, 
We're going with Brady. You know? Yeah, like he'll rise to the moment. He's going to get us a goal, regardless yeah. if he puts the goalie in there with him. <laughs> right. So, yeah. no, I'm excited about that. And like you mentioned, uh, the Hughes might have the, the edge on this just because they got the numbers. For <laughs> sure, for sure. Hughes over two Kachucks. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, if we're, if we're really going to dig down on it, Jack Hughes is a center. Both the Kachucks are wingers. You know, Quinn Hughes is a number one D-man who, again, like could very well win the Norris this year. He's probably, at this point, going to get Hart Trophy consideration. Like, if you voted today, would mm. you vote Quinn Hughes for the Hart? No. Who would you vote for? <sighs> like, I, I keep going back to this, like... I can't vote for a defenseman unless he's just far and above everyone right. else. Okay. And nothing against him. Like I'm, I'm probably going to look at the stats and go, you know what? He's probably <laughs> far because you he's know top ten in scoring. If I'm going to debate Quinn Hughes over Kale McCarr for the Norris, uh-huh. then I can't give uh, Quinn Hughes the heart. Yeah. Okay. Um, right now, it might be Kucherov. Really? Well, like you look at the scoring right now. Kucherov's got 42 points. Mm. After that, it's Pasternak and Miller tied with 36. And that Lightning team, we'll talk about them after the break. Yes. But they are a team full of flaws. Uh huh. And yet they're still in a playoff. Well, picture. Yeah, they're in the picture. And the, <laughs> that and picture gets wider though, doesn't it? It's certainly it's a pretty big picture. It, it's a it's a landscape picture right now. If you're going to yeah. include Tampa Bay. But Kucherov, man, oh man, um, I don't know if there's a better Russian in the game right now. And I'm, I'm trying to, like, I keep yeah. going, who's the best Finn, who's the best Russian? But right. Kucherov is the guy right now really kind of stirring that drink for Tampa. Yeah. Now, my only question, and ironically, Tampa is our next topic. Um, but my question to you would be, can you vote for somebody for Hart if the team doesn't make the playoffs? No, you cannot. So Kucherov would be it. If, if, if things continue as such. Tampa's going to be in the playoffs. All right. So who gets, who gets bumped out in the Atlantic? Because So Tampa beats Dallas last night. Yep. They end their you know, little trough that they were in there. But it was Victor Hedman's 1,000th game. And, I mean, you got to show up for your boy, right? Oh, yeah. And Dallas also drilled them. Recently, uh, 8-1, I think it was the score. So you got the redemption arc there. Redemption for Vasilevsky yep. in net. I, I need to see... Uh, Tampa Bay is... It's not as drastic, but it, to me, they're right now in that situation Edmonton was in a couple of weeks ago where it's like, I need to see what your next three games are like. Like, you need to put, some, put together some wins because I'm not sure if I believe in this lightning group. And that's something we haven't said in more than a decade. Yeah, it's not so much I don't believe in the Lightning. It's that the teams around them mm-hmm. are so good. Yeah. Like, we're talking Detroit has come out of nowhere. Um, Toronto's still there. Florida's still there. Boston's not going anywhere. Right. So it's just become, like, one of those... It's a numbers game. Yeah. One of Florida, Detroit, Tampa, or Toronto is going to be a wildcard team. Yeah. Or, or miss. Or miss. Right? Because look at the Metro. you got to think about the crossover, too. Like... Is the Metro only going to have three teams? Probably not. It's probably yeah. going to have four. Although it is so tightly packed there that I don't know if that maybe plays into the Atlantic's benefit where if you're picking on the Ottawa's and Buffalo's and Montreal's at the end of the year, mm-hmm. maybe there's a little more stratification for the top teams, but kind of getting into the weeds there for that. 
No, it's, it's a good debate, and there's a lot of hockey left. And Patrick Kane, we are waiting for his debut for the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it will not be against the Buffalo Sabres tonight, which is kind of too bad because he is a Buffalo guy. Yeah. Um, but let's start off with Patrick Kane. I want to talk a little bit about the Sabres after, but let's talk about Patrick Kane. What are your expectations for him once he does join the Red Wings lineup? Um, it's a good question. Um, He's going to be slotting in on the top six. So, he ain't I, playing I, defense. He's not playing defense. <laughs> he's not hitting anyone. No. Um, it, it's funny. Like, I, I think that Red Wings team actually kind of needs him. Um, when you look at them, this isn't like adding Patrick Kane to the New York Rangers last year where you're going, okay, there's a lot of wingers. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're basically pushing your left Frenier down in the lineup. With the Red Wings, you, you've already split up Larkin from uh, Debrinkat, and Debrinkat's played with Kane, so you're going, okay, can we recapture some of that magic? I don't think it's going to be quite that. It, he's coming off a, a really significant hip injury, mm-hmm. so you never know what a guy looks like after that. You know, the guys who've come back, it, it's, it hasn't been as good, obviously. So you expect them to lose a spot, but power play, Patrick Kane, I expect him to just be as magical as he usually is. Yeah, fair enough. I, I feel like my expectations are kind of tempered as well. And, and really with this signing, I almost felt it was a matter of GM Steve Eiserman saying to this group, I believe in you. Yep. You know, this was going to be a crucial year for this franchise. And early on, the guys stepped up, particularly Dylan Larkin and Alex Dabrinkit. Um, and the goaltending, for that matter. So let's bring in Patrick Kane. And as you said, you know, maybe he's, he's kind of a power play specialist at this point. Maybe he can get you some good secondary scoring. But, you know, he's not going to be the leader. Are there intangibles with him? We say he's not going to be the leader, but, like, who's on that team that's been, like, to the dance? Yeah, sorry, when I say not the leader, I guess I mean, like, he's not going to be leading the offense. The offensive but, stud. Yeah, you're going to, I mean, you make a very good point. This is a guy who has won multiple Stanley Cups, yeah. has been on multiple playoff runs, and this is a Detroit Red Wings team where, in particular, the young guys have never been to the playoffs. Yeah, like, you got a David Perron there who's been there, obviously. Yeah, he's um, a good guy. Did he win in St. Louis? He does have a cup, yeah. Okay. St. Louis sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah, so you've got a Perron, but mostly like a Dylan Larkin. I think uh, Dylan Larkin's played like one playoff series, and it was his rookie year in the NHL. Yeah, there's not a whole lot there. DeBrincat wouldn't have been part of any kind of um, championships that Chicago was a part of. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing in a guy who knows how to win a Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. but more than that, you've got a guy who knows how to get to the playoffs. Yes. So we'll keep waiting for possibly the Detroit Red Wings to kind of fall back to earth. So getting Kane possibly kind of keeps them in the mix. Because we talked before the break, this Atlantic division is just, it's going to be tough all the way through. We're we're kind of going like one of these teams is not going to be a playoff team or they're going to be fighting for a wild card spot. So quite possibly we see Detroit kind of fall down to that wild card race. And that's when it gets real interesting, where it's like night after night, every game matters. Mm-hmm. And having a Patrick Kane on the ice is going to help, but having him in the dressing room, I think, is going to help even more. Very good point. Uh, another team in the Atlantic that probably isn't going to make the playoffs is those Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. And I do kind of wonder, you know, coming into the season, it felt like the stars aligned 
for the Sabres to sign Patrick Kane because I thought Buffalo was going to take a step forward this year if they could get the goaltending early. They did not. And then, of course, Tage Thompson gets hurt. Sounds like he's back, which will be great for them, obviously, because he was a humongous part of that team last year and a humongous part of the offense. But did the Sabres miss their window? with Patrick Kane. Like, do you think we'll ever see him in a Buffalo jersey? No, I think that kind of ship has sailed. I don't, I don't even know if Kane plays past this year, to be honest. Like, mm. we'll see what he looks like uh, coming off the hip injury, but right. there's a lot of miles on that body, considering how many times Chicago went to the playoffs or how many times they went to the Stanley Cup final. Um, in regards to Tage Thompson, like, the team is, I think, 3-5-1 and one without him in the lineup, so they definitely are going to love seeing Tage back in the lineup. I'm really disappointed with the Buffalo Sabres. I know Devin yeah. Levi is down on a conditioning stint in the AHL, um, which is, I'm not kind of putting the blame on Devin Levi. I didn't think that it was very wise to kind of, you know, put your playoff ambitions into a guy who really hadn't played a whole lot at the yeah. AHL level. Yeah. So do they miss out on Patrick Kane? No, they missed out on getting a quality goaltender. Yeah. Um, and I think that would have changed everything. You look at Detroit, that, that's where Buffalo should have been. Mm-hmm. And to a degree, that's where Ottawa should be right now. Yeah. Um, I thought two of those three teams were going to be legit playoff teams this year. Turns out uh, Detroit's just there, and good on them for getting Patrick Kane because it looks like they want to stay there. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, two more teams that are not at the top of the standings right now, but are, are pretty interesting, Minnesota and Calgary. They play tonight, and the Wild have won three straight. Flames are 6-3-1 and one in their past 10. Which team do you have more faith in? And I will say... <laughs> I have to choose? <laughs> yeah, I guess. That, well, or, or which team needs this more right now? Uh, Calgary without Jacob Markstrom in net. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. When we're talking about faith, are you talking about, like, this is a playoff team? Because uh, I, I think Calgary I think could be... I think Calgary could be a playoff team because it feels like right now... The kids like Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil mm. are giving them a new dimension that has really, ha- really helped. And again, I mean, 6-3-1 and one in their past 10, that's, that's pretty good. Um, Minnesota, I feel like the mountain's just too high to climb. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know. What do you think? When I look at Calgary, I look at them as a fire sale waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And we saw them already deal Nikita Zadorov yep. or Zadorov, however you want to pronounce it. He's no longer a flame. Right. Chris Tanev's next. After that, it might be Elias no, Lindholm. It might be a Lindholm. It might be a Noah Hannafin. It mm-hmm. might be one of their three goaltenders. Like that is a team that is just. I think as the season goes on, it's not going to resemble the team that we see right now. Right. Um, I'm with you on Minnesota. They obviously made a coaching change, but their problems go beyond coaching. Yes. Um, so when you ask how what faith I have in them, I, I have faith that neither are going to be playoff teams this year. Mm. Fair enough. Sorry. Right. Sorry, Calgary fans. Hey, can't, can't win them every year, right? No. All right. Well, when we come back, we have Johnny Lazarus, our New York Rangers team site editor. He's going to talk, us, talk to us about the red-hot blue shirts, so stay with us.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show. We go to New York where we've got Rangers team site editor Johnny Lazarus joining us. How are you doing there, Johnny? What's up, fellas? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be on with you and a uh, big game tonight for the Rangers up in Ottawa. Yeah, well, it should be an easy one for the Rangers uh, just based on the way they're playing. Hottest team in the NHL. And mm-hmm. I was telling Ryan Kennedy this before the break. I'd argue that the best offseason acquisition in the NHL this year was the Rangers signing Peter Laviolette to coach the team because he's made a huge, huge difference on this squad. What can you tell us about the impact that Laviolette has made there, Johnny? Well, I think it's interesting, too, because when you cover a team, you're so used to listening to one coach talk, and you don't necessarily look around the league, right, and how other head coaches handle press conferences, handle players, handle relationships and stuff like that. You're not very, you know, on the inside of those relationships. So, you know, being here now and seeing how Peter Laviolette talks to the players, talks to the media, treats everyone, you know, it's taken me a bit by surprise because I think, you know, a lot of people sometimes maybe say he was more of an old school coach and, you know, in that, uh, you know, old man club or whatever you want to call it, whatever the phrase might be around hockey. But Peter Laviolette has been, you know, nothing but kind and just a great person, I think, not only for the team, but for the entire organization and, and just little details like, you know, a couple weeks ago, the Rangers had about five or six days in between games, and Laviolette had all the players' family members come out to a practice and watch. And that's something that, you know, maybe it doesn't seem like such a big deal to a lot of people, but, you know, when you show players that you care about them, they want to play for you even more. And I think that's kind of what's happening right now with this group is that, you know, they feel Laviolette, you know, trusts them and, uh, you know, treats them the right way, as, as not every coach in the NHL honestly does. And I think that's, you know, shown in the results that the Rangers are putting their body on the line every night. They're, you know, going out and, and playing for one another. And, you know, you can talk about Laviolette's X's nose and whatnot and the one three one trap and the neutral zone and, and all that stuff. But I think what he's done as a human being so far for this group, I think it's shown a lot in the way they're playing right now. I don't know if you uh, had many interactions with Laviolette there, Ryan, but I covered him in Carolina when they took that Hurricanes team to the cup uh-huh. final, as well as in Nashville when they went to the cup final. From a media member, he can be some a really intimidating coach. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting to hear uh, Johnny say that because, you know, obviously he has a different relationship with the players than he does the media. Yeah, fair enough. And I think we've seen that, you know, you think about John Tortorella as well, where he's very much about his guys, right? And it's yeah. like sometimes, you know, he can be prickly with the media because – you know, his allegiance is to his players. And I think for the players themselves, obviously they love that. You, you want somebody that's always in your corner. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. Johnny, I wanted to talk about another great acquisition. And I don't know if a lot of people saw this one coming, but Jonathan Quick has been a revelation in net for New York. And they already had Igor Shosturkin, uh, who has been one of the best in the world the past, I'd say, five years. What's the dynamic right now in net for the Rangers where they really have two excellent stoppers? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of Ranger fans, even if they are the best team in the NHL, they find a way to freak out somehow. And I think the discourse lately (laughs) has been, 
you know, can we count on Igor Shosturkin when it matters most? And, you know, I, I do think it's a ridiculous argument. Although, again, like Jonathan Quick has played so well that I guess you got to have the conversation, right? Because Quick's, what, 7-0-1 now, 2.34 goals against, 0.918 save percentage. I mean, he's been, you know, one of the best goalies in the entire NHL, although he lets up, you know, five against the Sharks the other night. And he's had, you know, some games where he's let up a lot of goals and the team bails him out in front of him. But, you know, I, I think the Rangers right now are making the case for best dynamic duo uh, as far as goalies go in the entire NHL. I know you look at, you know, Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman in Boston, Sorokin and Barlamov in New York, uh, even Talbot and Copley in L.A. a little bit right now. But, um, you know, for Jonathan Quick to turn back the clock a little bit, and I think he's given a lot of credit to Benoit Allaire, who, you know, obviously is known for his wizardry with goalies. I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you know, Alaire was incredible with Henrik Lundqvist during his 15-year career here. And, um, you know, Jonathan Quick has said, I actually spoke to him one-on-one last week, and he said that Alaire has helped simplify his game. And if you remember Jonathan Quick over the last decade, you know, there's been a lot of cases where he might seem out of position, but he's so flexible that he finds a way to make a save. And I think there hasn't been so many instances this year where he's sprawling and, you know, trying to get back into position and takes himself out of position where, you know, he's letting the puck hit him as opposed to going out and making that save, if that makes sense. Because I think sometimes goalies, especially now, it's all about positioning, right? You're just putting yourself in a spot where the puck hits you as opposed to, you know, reaching and lunging and making some sort of crazy flexible save. And, uh, you know, I think with Igor Shosturkin as well, you know, his competitiveness, I mean, he's, what, lost two or three, maybe four games this year, and he skates off the ice last week and slams a stick against the boards. Like, you know, you love seeing that out of your uh, starting goalie is the – the fiery nature and the competitiveness. So um, these two have been absolutely unbelievable. And Jonathan Quick, especially, I think, has caught the entire NHL by surprise, and especially Ranger fans. Now, you mentioned you talked to Quick, and you had a great one-on-one with him. Uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago. He's from Milford, Connecticut. Um, and a lot of what you talked about was just kind of being able to play for the Rangers, playing in Madison Square Garden. Like, what, what does this actually mean to him? And is this sort of like a... A dream realized for a guy who, let's face it, could have retired uh, before the season and is probably going to the Hall of Fame based on what he did with L.A. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting, too, because you try to ask him those questions and kind of tee him up for, like, you know, somewhat of a cheesy answer, like, you know, how to feel to get your first win in MSG. And, um, you know, even if he is living out a childhood dream right now, Jonathan Quick is still super focused, and I think he wants to bring a championship to this city. And, um, you know, I I think – you know, when he goes home and probably shuts his brain off a little bit, he, he takes it in to himself like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this. But, you know, as far as his focus in the rink goes, it's really just about winning a hockey game and getting two points. And I know that's cliche, but that's really what his focus has been. Um, you know, I don't think we've caught him in an emotional state yet where he's truly realized like how incredible it is what he's doing right now for the Rangers. And, you know, I tried asking him, like, what would your college version say? Uh, if you told him right now you'd be having the success you're having with this organization. And he kind of caught, caught himself a little bit there and started laughing, um, you know, to himself. But, yeah, I think for him and, and for anyone, I think no matter how old you are, you know, whenever you're on the ice, you kind of feel like a kid, you know, no matter what age. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to skate at MSG during a clinic and, you know, it made me feel like I was 13 years old just pretending to be out there. Um, and I think there probably are moments where he does that, but, Again, I think Jonathan Quick is such a competitor that he just wants to win right now. And I'm sure when it's all said and done, he'll look back on it and really, you know, be emotional about it. But right now it's it's really just lock in focus. Right on. And I mean things are obviously going fantastic for the Rangers, the best team in hockey right now. But looking ahead, I mean the goal is obviously a Stanley Cup. Is there anything this 
team could use? Is there like one more puzzle piece you think could put them over the hump? Well, I think one thing that stood out this summer, uh, which was very interesting, and now that Heedle's out of the lineup, the Rangers only had one forward on the roster in between the ages of 24 and 29, and that was when Heedle turned 24 in September. So, you know, you look at the success they're having right now, but I think the biggest question mark is knowing that this is an older group is can they sustain it through a two-month playoff run? Um, so I think what you need right now is maybe just a younger guy with some energy. Like, like, you know, I think a guy that's gone really under the radar that's been such a huge addition to this team is Will Cooley in his first rookie year. Um, you know, with the Rangers, he played a couple games last year, but, you know, made the team out of camp. And I think he's been a pleasant surprise just with his ability to play 200 feet and bang bodies and even score goals now. You know, he scored a huge goal the other night against San Jose. So, you know, I think it's been typical Ranger fashion to go out and get a big name you know, a skill player, a guy that can score goals at the deadline. But I think what they kind of need for this group is, you know, maybe a younger run and gun type of player that goes out there and, and just intimidates the opposing D and, um, you know, puts pucks in deep and wins battles because, you know, come playoff time, right, everything gets a little bit tighter, everything gets a little bit quicker, and it's harder to make those decisions. So when you bring in skill guys, you know, obviously there are a lot of players who go above and beyond and perform in the playoffs, but it's really about those third, fourth line guys that can help you you know, get over that hump and, and, you know, bring an extra level to the team. So for the Rangers, I said the name and, and, you know, I think his contract's up next year, but I said a name like Brandon Tanev, who, um, you know, obviously can score goals, but I think is more of that, you know, rat running gun, like throws the body, sacrifices his body, has a lot of speed, isn't afraid to mix it up type of player. Um, so I think the Rangers right now, they have, you know, top end skill, you know, Kreider, Panarin, Fox, Igor, um, Keandre Miller, you can make a case for like they have t- Mika Zibanejad. There's so much skill on this team, but you really need uh, that grit factor, I think, which cost them last year against the Devils. And we are going to go now to Arizona, a place we don't go often. <laughs> but Connor Ingram, the goaltender, is the NHL's first star of the week. In terms of goals save above expected, which is the new fancy stat that I always rely on now because I'm not very smart, he's one of the best in the NHL. So. The Coyotes are winning. Mm-hmm. They're beating really good teams at that. Do you keep Connor Ingram? <laughs> who is on a very nice contract. He's yeah. making peanuts. He's got a couple of years on the deal. A lot of teams need goaltending right now. Or if you're the Arizona Coyotes, do you say, no, we are actually good right now. Let's make a playoff run. Let's try to get some sustained success in this market. It's tough because how many teams need goaltenders right now? Like, <laughs> like so, half a dozen. A long list. Good teams at least. Yeah. So obviously teams are going to be sniffing around Connor Ingram and the Arizona Coyotes. I'm of the belief is you can be a good goaltender in Arizona, but then you go to Edmonton or a Toronto and it's a whole other business. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's one thing to stop pucks where no one's watching, uh-huh. but then when you're in the pressure cooker of some of these bigger markets where they actually live and die by the team, mm-hmm. um, that's when you can kind of sort out who's a really good goaltender or not. That being said, like, you know, this Carol, or Arizona Coyotes team, I'm starting to look at that roster, and it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Like, fine, you've had Clayton Keller for all those years, but now you're actually starting to build, like, a young nucleus around him. Um, part of me looking at Connor Ingram is 26 years old. He's right at that age where goaltenders sort of 
find themselves. Yeah, it's so got that pop. You might end up having your, you know, quote unquote, like stud goalie for the next mm-hmm. five, six years. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we've seen Connor Ingram in the past. I mean, he's, he's had a couple of shots in the NHL. You know, he's world junior goaltender for Canada at one point. Um, so he's not like out of nowhere, nowhere, but he definitely has been kind of in the weeds. And I, I, know, I know he had some ups and downs in his career, especially early on. But it's kind of funny, like, you look at the Coyotes, Michael Carson has, like, 12 goals, Lawson Krause has 10 goals already. You know, like, it's not just Keller and, you know, Nick Schmaltz is playing well because he's healthy. Matthias Michelli. Yeah, Michelli continuing what was a great rookie season that got cut short due to injury, which was unfortunate last year. Uh, So it is kind of coming together. And then, of course, we get news that Coyotes' ownership may be purchasing some land in Phoenix for a potential new arena. We have gone through this dance many a many time (laughs) with the Arizona Coyotes. It's uh, truly an unfortunate situation for the fan base there. Uh, But, you know, the new ownership with Alex Meruelo uh, certainly seems like a guy that's not going to give up. No. Certainly not going to give up easily. But do we think this new parcel of land, is it, is it going to be the answer? Well, it's in Phoenix, which is a great kind of, that, that's the best part of news. Uh, mm-hmm. You want to be, I think, in downtown Phoenix or around that area. And you mentioned Morello is refusing to give up. The NHL is refusing to give up on this too. Sure. So the, the, the Coyotes, we keep seeing, you know, get chance after chance to kind of make this work. They're playing in the Mullet Arena right now, which is a college-level rink. It looks like a fun place to go watch a hockey Certainly. game, but it's not going to be a long-term fix, obviously. I really hope the Coyotes make this work. Mm-hmm. I might be in the minority here, but I don't want them to leave Arizona. I think it's you can't have Austin Matthews telling everyone that he wouldn't be a hockey player if not for the Coyotes and not right. for going to watch Coyotes games as a kid mm-hmm. and uproot this team. Yeah, I think the NHL and... Arizona Coyotes management ownership has to do everything in their power to make this work because you know you don't have an Austin Matthews without the Coyotes. You don't have a Matthew Nyes. You might not even have a Matthew Kachuk because he was actually born there too. So um, I spent some time in Arizona doing some stories a couple years ago, and the amount of ex NHLers that live there. I think we talked about this mm-hmm. previously. Um, a lot of players end up retiring in Arizona. They're giving back to the community. And golfing. And golfing, yeah. <laughs> but the, they actually have a pretty blossoming, uh, pretty good blossoming uh, minor hockey development uh, mm-hmm. uh, over there. So, yeah, I really hope they get this to work. But, yeah, you know, we've been fooled a number of times. Yeah. And, I mean, the Austin Matthews point is a great one because he was also a very good baseball player growing up. So it's not yeah. like... And golfer. He, and golfer. Uh, so it's not like he didn't have any other sporting options. Like, he very well could have been a baseball player if the Coyotes didn't exist at the time. I love going through that exercise of, like, hey, if this guy had only been born here, would mm-hmm. he have been a hockey player or a football player or a basketball right. player? Because you're right, like, athleticism is, is athleticism. And you look at mm. Austin Matthews, and you're probably like, yeah, put a football in that kid's hands, and he probably could have been all-star, like, quarterback or something. There like, you he's go. just so talented, right? Yeah, certainly. So I think the NHL's lucky that Austin Matthews, you know, was a Coyotes fan growing up because his parents were not hockey fans. No, it's true. So it's not like they pushed him into this. Yeah, like, exactly. If anything, it was like 
he had to overcome some obstacles to get to the NHL. Yeah. So I really hope that it's not all not for naught. There you go. And here's one final question. If the Coyotes make the playoffs, is it going to be weird or awesome <laughs> that they're playing in Mullet Arena in front of around 5,000 people? It'll be sold out. Certainly so will. That'll, that'll be awesome. Yeah. Uh, we'll possibly get another whiteout. Oh, yeah. Which would be kind of cool. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it'll probably shine uh, maybe a negative light on the sense that, like, what is actually happening here? Yeah. If you're a casual sports fan, you're like, this is the NHL? Yeah. With this tiny little high school level kind of rink. Right. So, yeah, good and bad, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. We are going to turn now to our prospect of the week. And uh, we're going to stay out west, actually. The University of Denver, Zeev Booyam, uh, who is a prospect for the 2024 NHL Draft, uh, playing for the NCAA Pioneers, 21 points in 16 games as a defenseman. That's incredible production yeah. uh, for a player that is a first-year draft eligible. Playing on the team with older brother Shy, who is a Detroit Red Wings prospect. And it's interesting, I had a chance to speak with both of them uh, a couple of months ago. And they have a third brother, and an older brother, Ben, who also played some hockey. And, and Zeev and Shai were sort of joking that, you know, Zeev, they, they did not go easy on him as a kid. You know, they, they roughed him up. They made him earn everything out there. But it seems to have worked because in his first year, I mean, he's a great two-way threat. Obviously, he can put up points, but he's pretty good defensively as well. Uh, Shai is like six foot four. Zeev is closer to six foot, so he doesn't have the same size. But it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up going in the draft because there's a lot of good D-men in this draft. But that production and the fact that he was just named to Team USA's World Junior uh, final camp, which is a little bit unexpected given his age, um, looks like a bright future for this kid. Yeah, you're mentioning the draft. I think a lot of us, you know, a lot of fans right now are looking at their team, whether you're in Chicago or possibly even like Calgary. And you're thinking, okay, what kind of draft is this going to be? There's no Connor Bedard, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, we've got Macklin Celebrini, who's kind of leading this class. But is this going to be a, a very like defense-heavy draft? And is uh, where does a guy like Zeev kind of fit in? Is he going to be, you know, one of the first couple defensemen taken off the board? You know what? At this point. Uh, I, I think he could be in that mix. It is a very good year for blue liners. Like last year was a very bad year for defensemen. There just wasn't a lot of top end skill there. Right. But this year, you know, you got Artem Levshnov, who's at Michigan State, who's also a freshman. Uh, he would be, you know, one of the top guys. Sam Dickinson with OHL London would be another one. And then there's guys like Zane Parek in OHL Saginaw. There, there's definitely a number of guys there. But I could see Booyam right in that mix based on what he's done so far. So it is pretty exciting in that regard. And then Zeev uh, obviously taking uh, Hunter Bushkevich's uh, spot, I guess, on the Team USA. I guess that, that was a bit of the news yesterday. I think a lot of people were kind of like shocked, uh, you included. I was. I thought at least he would get a sniff. But David Carl is both the World Junior coach and Denver's coach. So obviously he sees how good Booyam has been for him. Mm. So I cannot fault him for that decision. Ryan, you know what time it is. It's rapid fire time. Here we go. Producer Connor, what kind of questions you got for us this time? Well, you talked about him a little bit earlier. Patrick Kane. I'm curious. What do you have the over-under at? We'll put the line 40 and a half. I'm going to go under. I think he probably ultimately plays around 50 games for the Red Wings this year, maybe 45. I think they would be happy with like 
30-35 points in the regular season, maybe about a third or half of those on the power play. Well, he played 54 games for the Blackhawks last year at 45 points. I think he's going to be mixed in with all the offense, so I'm going to say over. I say he gets somewhere closer to between 45 and 50. Yesterday, Yaka Markstrom got hurt, and it just came out he has a broken finger and is week to week. Does that make the Flames more likely to sell sooner rather than later? Or could you see Dustin Wolf saving their season? I could see Dustin Wolf, maybe not saving their season, but I could see him having a very good Devin Levi-esque run for Calgary where he surprises some opponents. So I, I, I don't think it's done for the Flames yet. I don't know why. I just don't think it's done. Well, you know where I stand on this. Like yes. The fire sale should have started already. Um, regardless if it's Wolf, Markstrom, or whoever, th- this team is not a playoff team, and if anything, they should be thinking about next year and the years ahead. So let's start selling assets now. Yesterday, the U.S. released their preliminary roster for the World Juniors, and it got me thinking, who's the best player outside of the NHL? Mm. I mean, Cutter Gauthier is going to be on that. Final squad, the Philadelphia Flyers pick. I'd, I'd put him up there, but I'm going to go with Jesper Wallstead, the goaltender uh, in the Minnesota Wild system, currently with AHL Iowa. I just feel this guy has like long-term starter written all over him, maybe even starting next year. Well, he won't be there. Uh, Matvey Michkov uh, plays for Russia. There we'll won't be, be a there. Team Russia <laughs> there, so unfortunately. Um, but this guy, seventh overall pick. Probably should have went right after either Bedard or Fantilli in that draft. Um, playing right now in the KHL, but you're talking about who the best player is. I think we're going to be talking about Mitchkov for many, many years uh, going forward. We'll stick on the prospect train. What age can a prospect be considered a bust? I think it depends on position. So if you're a forward, I would say 23. Defense, maybe 24. Goaltender, I would even say like 26, 27. Because goaltenders maybe just wait forever for that matter because we've seen some pretty wild stories over the years. Johnny Bauer was like 50 when he broke into the league (laughs) or something. No, I'm with you. I I think uh, you got to hold off. Like we were talking to Johnny Lazarus earlier. Uh, Alexi Lafreniere is not yet 23. Mm -hmm. You know, we were calling him a bust last year. Uh, I think we're starting to come around on him and Quinton Byfield. So... Yeah, let's pump the brakes until they're at least 23. Let's leave the hockey sphere. Shohei Otani is currently a free agent. Where does he land? I don't follow this too much, but I know it would be great if he went to the Blue Jays. Uh, But I have to feel like the way baseball is with the big money and how mercenary it is, I'm going to say it goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, selfishly, I hope he ends up a Blue Jay. Uh, I'm a diehard Blue Jay fan, so to have Otani, I'd give up... Vladdy Guerrero and Bo Bichette um, want this guy desperately uh, in a Toronto Blue Jays jersey. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that's where I'm going. That's it for Rapid Fire. All right. Thanks for watching. Well, that's all the time we've got. So thanks for watching the Hockey News pregame show. As always, thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. Until next time, we'll see you at the rink.